So, I just finished reading Sam Harris's book, The Moral Landscape. And I really like Sam Harris. He makes me think. But I want to push back against one of his ideas. He wants to eliminate organized religion from people's lives. And I think that's fine as a premise, but he doesn't seem to offer much to replace organized religion. And I think people require an absolute. We've evolved to need that kind of certainty. You can't just get rid of God without replacing God with another God. You don't have a choice whether you're going to have a God. Your only choice is which God you will have. And the God that he seems to want to replace organized religion with is a God of the Enlightenment. It's pure reason. It's rationality. It's skeptical empiricism. And I'm a huge fan of all those things. And I don't consider myself religious. But I was thinking about Maimonides, who was a Jewish philosopher. And I think, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think one of his points was this. The value in Judaism is not necessarily that it's correct, but that it provides a moral framework. It provides scaffolding for us to develop our own sense of ethics. And this is especially important when we're young or when we're exposed to the seductions and the temptations of the real world. If you don't have an absolute on which to fall back on, it's very hard to make the right moral judgment spontaneously. You know, I think this is something Sam is missing, that one positive use for organized religion is to place a relatively healthy absolute into the mind of people when they go out into the real world. Again, I know this is true for me at least. If I have to, or when I have to, deliberately and consciously use willpower to overcome temptation on a case-by-case -case basis, I always fail. The rejection has to be automatic. And I think initially that automatic needs to be based on the rules and the guidelines of the absolute. And I was thinking about this, especially because I'm coming to realize that during my post-college years, I lived in a mainstream American culture that promoted and encouraged each of the seven deadly sins. And, you know, I'm going to use that term, even though I'm not Christian, I'm not Catholic, because I think the language of religion can be a helpful lens when talking about some of these issues. So let's start with lust. Meaningless sex was praised while committed relationships were yawned at and dismissed as dull. As a man, I was constantly being prodded into chasing women, and I was told to value myself and other men based on our ability to have sex with strangers. Lotharios were adulated, while the sexually timid, myself included, were mocked. The message was very clear. It was encouraging lust. Another one is greed. Success was defined as money. 
and the path you took to get money was irrelevant. Only the destination mattered. Everyone was hyper-focused on how much money they made, how much others made, how much they thought they should make. A big bonus was status, even if it was based on morally questionable actions. The rich were often seen as being better. Wanting more and doing anything to get it was simply the natural order. And again, you know, we were encouraged to be greedy. Envy. I think this builds off the first two, because in a mad scramble for sex and money, people succeed at different levels. So everyone's watching everyone else, and anyone who gets more money or sex, well, we envy those people. Especially because everyone knew that they were the most deserving, right? So, you know, why didn't I get all the money and sex? Why didn't I get what others had? So envy was encouraged as a part of this, but also as a spur to achievement. We were taught to envy so that we would do anything to get these things. And, you know, that makes us easily controlled, easily manipulated. Gluttony. Gluttony is another one. It was glorified. No one boasted of eating an entire pack of Twizzlers, at least rarely, but, you know, when we would go out to a very expensive restaurant and have a really big meal, that was something to brag about. No one boasted any longer of drinking a six-pack of Natty Light, but when we had a really expensive bottle of wine, that was something to boast about. So gluttony was, was aspirational. We were, we were told that stuffing ourselves with, frankly, an unhealthy amount of overpriced food was an achievement, that it was a sign of discernment and of taste and status. What are the other ones? Wrath. Wrath was also a sign of status. Bosses got angry. Minions were forced to be meek. A, uh, a boss of mine had a line he was famous for. He would say, I don't get ulcers. I give them. Losing control was a privilege. It was a perk to aspire to rather than a weakness to be overcome. The ability to berate an employee or yell at a secretary or belittle a service worker, that meant you had arrived. Anger was something to be cultivated, to be proud of. Pride, right? That's another one. Pride was cultivated. It was seen as a positive sign that you had something to be arrogant about. Those at the top wore their arrogance openly. Again, only those at the bottom had to be meek. We were encouraged to be proud. We were taught to work to become proud, to view achievement as a means to justified arrogance. Now, the last one is sloth, and sloth is perhaps the exception, because I feel sloth is a deeply un-American trait. Instead, we boasted of how busy we were, how hard we worked, how little we slept. It was the culture of the shark, forward momentum or death. So why do I say that sloth is perhaps the exception? 
Because I think of shark culture as binary. Maximum effort was celebrated, and so was doing nothing, somewhere very expensive and very exclusive. But nothing ever in between. You received no kudos for doing something just for the fun of it, or pursuing a statusless hobby, or having a nine-to-five. Again, sloth was aspirational as the yin to, to the yang of, quote, you know, working hard and playing hard. So those are the kinds of pressures and temptations that we all feel, especially when we're young. And again, if you don't have a framework that has a lot of power in your early life, that teaches you simple rules on how to avoid those problems. I think, and this is certainly true for me, right? Because I failed most of the tests of those sins. But you, you do fail. You aren't strong enough on your own, at least initially, to make the right choice. I feel like having an absolute moral framework, often grounded in organized religion, helps bridge you, or again, scaffolding, so you can reach a point where doing the right thing is both internal, internally derived, and automatic at the same time. Okay, that's it. I'll catch you next week.